Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to a special edition on the Red Velvet Media Network, and uh, today we have Drew Stone with us, and uh, he's pretty cool because he's got a lot of really great projects, and uh, he's a film director, producer, editor, and musician, and uh, we have him in the studio today along with Spencer Drake, my co-host from New York, and uh, I just wanted to say really quick before we started this show, it's uh, the first day of autumn, um, so I wanted to... Welcome, everybody, to um, a new season. And with that, um, what I wanted to say was this show will be available on iTunes afterwards and also on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio as a special edition of the Indie Cafe under um, Red Velvet Media. So with that, let me bring uh, both Drew in and also uh, Spencer. 
because Drew has some really great projects that he's worked on, including a film that's currently on Netflix right now. And we're going to be talking a lot about his films and his musical career. And uh, so welcome, Spencer, and welcome, Drew. Hey, how are you, Hal? Are you both there? Hey, Drew. Hey. All right, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, hey. No, no problem. I'm having a problem getting the chat room open. So if anybody is trying to go into the chat room, the chat room is open probably for you, but I'm not able to open it on my end for some reason. Um, the studio is... Uh, experiencing a little difficulties, but if you'd like to call in, the number is 347-677-1036. And with that, I am going to introduce you to Drew Stone, who I am going to have introduce himself and talk a little bit about his uh, film company, uh, Stone Films in New York City, and uh, also a lot about the different projects and some of the things he's done, as well as his... um, family being in film as well his dad working with the uh, amazing mel brooks so uh <laughs> with that drew i know yeah. that just like tickled uh, me pink when i saw i read that and you told me uh, that on the phone yeah. so yeah go yeah. for it so yeah well you know um my name is drew stone i am a uh i'm an american um film director producer editor musician i'm born and raised in new york city uh, New York City is a, a very big part of uh, of what I do. Uh, my films and my music usually um, are really uh, centered around it or have something to do with it. Um, I have a film right I have two films that just came out this summer. Um, one of them is uh, – can I curse on this show? You you can you can curse yeah go ahead but just like <laughs> okay well it's not well, like I'll, I'll, I know I'll, what I'll, the f u c you know yeah right that so way. so the uh, the title of the film uh, which is on Netflix and um, mm-hmm. iTunes and Amazon all that is who the fuck is that guy the fabulous journey right. of Michael Alago it's uh, mm-hmm. a documentary about a Hispanic uh, gay guy that grew up in a Hasidic neighborhood that went on to change the face of the music business. And I also have another film that's out. Uh, it's on iTunes and um, Amazon and all that called the New York Hardcore Chronicles film. So it's been a whirlwind mm-hmm. summer. I just got back from Europe where I was screening the Hardcore film and the Alago film. You know, it was on Netflix worldwide, which is really incredible. You know, Netflix is a, is a, is a worldwide platform. It's really the big stage, so to speak. And uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, that's, that's out now, and um, it's just been a really exciting whirlwind summer. I mean, it's one thing to get one film done, which is a monumental task, and get it out, but the way that this timed out is I had two come out at the same time, so um, it's been a lot of fun, and I'm really grateful, and I'm really blessed with the, the way that things have shaken out this summer. That's amazing. Well, you know, we've, we I've seen the films, and I know Spencer has seen them, and we both, I just think they're they're amazing. The one that you have on Netflix is just so, so real. And the way that it's done, I think I told you that I love the music and the way that you shot the shot the film. It was very, it made you want to watch it. You know what I mean? So yeah, well, I think I, I, I think that great. what I, I think that what in the end, what the, really the I hate to use the term least common denominator about the film is really in the end it's really about someone that just loves music. And to a lot of people, it's really 
you know, somebody that, you know, beyond the fact, you know, that he's gay and grew Hispanic and did the, the really the, the gist of it is it's really the story of someone that just loves music. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, and that, and that um, is very clear too. Yeah. yeah Drew, I was at clear. a, a CBGB festival tribute to the Ramones and I spoke with Michael and Danny Fields and, um, Bob Gruen and, uh, Monty Melnick. And, I, I felt like my, Michael was his. Uh, this is the first time I met him personally, Drew, and I felt he was uh, a really warm person. And uh, yes. he also he doesn't exert that egocentrical "I am great, look at me" type of which I hate, you know, right? And um, he's yes. a wonderful person. I could see in the movie that that was related in your film that everybody who spoke mm-hmm. just really, right, Holly, the best things about him. Oh yeah, when oh, they're all as the a people, person. all the people that were able to. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, That's hey, what I said to hey, Spencer. Drew. Spencer, was, Spencer, was that the Tommy Ramone thing at the Bowery Electric? Yeah. 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 I, I was there, and actually, there's a little bit of that. There's some of that footage in the film when when Alag was standing in front of the mic. That's from that night when when. Is it uh, really? I didn't Al- realize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 from that night. I was there. That is a, and yeah, I, I shot spoke some of with. It, yeah. yeah, that was a great night. I mean, but yeah. you know, it just reeked. Your film is done so purely, and and he radiates so much of this warmth as a person, and I think it's so important to know about. And and his career is unreal. I mean, I I didn't know part of it. I mean, I did. I never realized he had this big attachment to Nina Simone. Right. Yeah. Well, that 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 was um, that was big. That was big. And, and you know, I must admit that going into the film, I really didn't know who I didn't really know who Nina Simone was. I mean, I come right. from a wow. I come from a punk I come from a punk you know a hardcore background. And you know, to me, Alago the connection with Alago was Metallica and all the heavy metal bands he oh, worked yeah. with and Johnny Johnny Rotten. So I peripherally knew. You know, Nina Simone was, you know, a, you know, black kind of soul singer, but that, right. I, that wasn't really in my wheelhouse. So one of the really exciting and interesting things for me as a director doing the film was finding out who Nina Simone was and that segment in the film. And, and, and wow, she was really something else. She was. She, she was and like, I awesome. mean, what I, I saw an interview with Amy Winehouse on a doc Mm-hmm. And Amy couldn't. That was her favorite singer. I mean, Amy. Oh, Ryan, is that right? Was, yeah, and I never forgot that. Also, and I was a big fan of Nina Simone. I'm sure Holly was uh, also. But you know, it's just uh, she, iconic, right? Uh, what can you say? Uh, very iconic. Yeah, that, you but, know what? That, that now that you bring that up, that makes total sense. That that I could see that that Amy Winehouse was really influenced by Nina Simone. I could totally see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah, I I personally really think the whole film really did justice to like really telling someone's story in a really fun way, you know. I mean, it really, right. really, right. really did that. And then your other well, films, and then you mentioned that you have a punk background, so I know that you. Um, I wanted to get into that a little bit too about your music and about the different other things that you've done as well, yep. besides just well, the film, I, um, but. Yeah. Yeah, I fell I fell into um I mean, the way the story kind of goes is that look, I grew up in New York City. I I was sort of a part of the blank I was a part of the blank generation. Um, you know, I I I was, you know, too late for the 60s and too early for the MTV thing. I grew up in New York City in in the mid 70s. Um I was a teenager 
in New York City in, in the in the mid you know to late seventies. And um, so for me for me music always you know growing up music sort of meant you know the Rolling Stones and and you know the stuff that was on the radio and 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 stuff like that. Um, you know, you know, and, and believe it or not, where I grew up, like people really into Southern rock and all that. And um, so, you know, Rolling Stones, Frank Zappa, Grateful Dead, um, you know, all that sort of, you know, late 70 kind of gets in the summer of 80, 1981, I went up to Emerson College to study acting. And while I was um, at Emerson uh, that summer, I uh, I got introduced to somebody uh, that was a freshman as well, and he basically took me to my first hardcore show, hardcore punk show, and um, it was a very small scene. It was 20 kids up there, but as soon as the band was over, they took their instruments off and came to me and wanted to know who I was and what I was doing there, and um, it was the first time that I felt really connected to music and, and to sort of like a social movement, you know? And uh, I really just fell in with the Boston hardcore scene, and I was part of the original kind of Boston skinhead crew. And, you know, eventually um, I, was, I was in a band up there, a hardcore band. And then, you know, I came back to New York in uh, 1983, and I started a band called The High and the Mighty, and we would play down on the Lower East Side at the A7 or CBGB's hardcore matinees. And then basically, you know, you know from there um, I joined the band Antidote, which is the band that I've been in pretty much, you know, since then, which is really sort of one of, one of the, you know, preeminent first wave New York hardcore bands. And, and, uh, you know, I ended up in Antidote and, you know, the rest is kind of history. Um, and, and, and from, from being a part of that scene is how I connected with so many people and so, so much stuff going on in the Lower East Side. And then sort of like from the hardcore thing, I sort of backed up from there and got into a lot of the, into a lot of the punk stuff that, that I never really, that I knew of, that I ne- that I never really knew about a lot of the New York punk stuff, like, you know, uh, Johnny Thunders and, and the dead boys and stuff like that. Yeah. Hey, uh, Drew, I want to bring out something. I saw the, uh, hardcore, the New York hardcore movie, which I thought was very brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And Thanks. it was a Thanks. part of it was really interesting because I was brought up more like in the rock and roll scene. And I touched metal and I touched hardcore a little bit, but I didn't realize this, because in rock and roll, women always talk about the struggle, not being recognized, being dotted up. But when I watched the hardcore scene, all the women musicians were talking about how equal they felt with men. That's right. That's extraordinary. I don't think people realize that. That's an extraordinary thing you brought out. Yeah, and and I felt like um, there was was a a story to be told there. I mean... um, Look, the hardcore thing got really violent, and it chased a lot of the girls out of the scene. But early on, it was a very even playing field. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I felt that, uh, you know, a lot of these films kind of happen, and you never see a girl in them, or there's never a female voice. And um, I really felt that, you know, the, the girls had something to say here. And I right. uh, dedicated, you know, dedicated part of the film to them. And, and, and it's really, and, and it's a really interesting perspective. Because this, it's one thing to hear a guy kind of say, hey, you know, um, it got really violent and, you know, I didn't want to come around and it was too much for me. 
I think mm-hmm. other guys' reaction, other guys' reaction to that is like, you know, you, you know, you, you wuss or whatever. But when you hear the girls coming out and saying, "Hey, we were part of this too," and yeah. things became really macho and violent, and mm-hmm. we basically got chased, pushed out of the scene, I think there's a lot more um, currency to that, and and it really made makes people really think about, hey, you know what, you know, this thing was 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 you know, pretty pretty primitive and Neanderthalic and we pushed unnecessarily pushed people out of this thing while we were busy, you know, being a tough guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a story Mm -hmm. to be told about that. And I think you told the story very spot on, you know, where people can Mm -hmm. really understand it. That's the important part, you know, and also I think uh, Spencer, what did you think about the way that it explained it? I mean, it was just very, to me, it, it felt like it really told told the story. I, I totally agree, Holly. I totally agree mm-hmm. with you. I mean, it's, it's the stuff, the the way the film is made, and and you get the full picture of the genre definitely, mm-hmm. and you get all aspects of it, right? So like a total, uh, it's a total mm-hmm. view. And when you get well, out of there, if you don't know about it, you'll know about it, which I think is so. That's the end mm-hmm. story to me. Yeah, yeah, you know and that. I think for sure, and and I think that. What's kind of cool about the hardcore film, as opposed to the Illogical film, which is, you know, interesting and cool in its own right. But mm-hmm. the thing about the hardcore film is there was a whole community behind it, and you yeah. sort of get that you get that sense from mm-hmm. watching the film. You really feel that you know this this wasn't Drew Stone's take on the New York hardcore scene. This was really you know it was it was never my film. It was always our film. And I really feel like that comes across, you know, in in in, in the film. Yeah, I do. I agree. Yeah. Holly and I agree with that. I'm sure, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Um, what I want what I want to know is because these films are so, so just like such a statement. Um, mm-hmm. Are what are you working on currently? Are you working on something new that's along the lines of this, or uh, yeah, what's well, happening? I, yeah, I'll tell you what's happening. Um, you know, I'm sort of in a in a position here where I'm really, you know, people are approaching me to do, people are approaching me to do stuff, and I'm really trying to make the right decision here. You know, I don't want to throw my hat in the ring, you know, with something that, that I'm not passionate about. But the next thing that I'm doing is a Muhammad Ali documentary. And that comes from, yeah, yeah. That, that comes, that comes from, my father, Arnie Stone, who was a mm-hmm. filmmaker, who was a director as well, right. um, in, the, in the 70s, he did a Muhammad Ali documentary, shot on 16-millimeter film. It wow. ran a half hour. It was a really cool sort of um, moment in time for Ali. It wasn't Ali in the ring, per se. It was more like his lifestyle um, at his training camp and how he interacts with the kids and his people. And it was mm-hmm. sort of like... A, Strangely enough, it was a lifestyle film, which is basically oh, wow. what I do at this point, uh, right? So, yeah. so no, he no, did no, this film. Great. Yeah, so he did this film, shot it on 16 millimeter film, and sort of like mm-hmm. the the the, um, the big moment of the, the film is uh, is him addressing the Harvard graduating class of I think 1975, and he said, you know, he does this poem, you know, me we, and and that's. Um, you know, the name of the film. And when it was done, 
it aired on HBO um, like eight times. Remember when? Remember when HBO was just like a box with a button on it? You know, in 1970. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Remember that? So, yeah. so really, mm-hmm. in the first year, I think in the first year or so of HBO, my dad's Ali, the you know, little Ali documentary, screened about eight times on HBO, and then wow. after after that, it was put in a drawer for 40 years, and recently. Um, recently my father gave me the film. He gave me all the footage, you know, the, 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 the film, literally the film. The negative oh, wow. Film. Nice. And, and I, I mm-hmm. turned around and I did a new film to tape, you know, high resolution film to tape transfer and, uh, oh, nice. you know, kind of, you know, c- cleaned it up a little bit, you know what I mean? And as a result, um, based, you know, o- you know, off the strength of the two films I have now, I've struck a little, a little deal, you know, with, for, you know, for, with iTunes and Amazon and that, and that whole oh, cha-cha-cha. And yeah. so the Ali film is being re-released. Um, we're looking towards January to wow. do like a premiere and a launch. And, you know, oh, my name's nice. on it. You know, my, yeah, so my name's on it as an executive producer, you know, from executive great. producer Drew Stone. And um, I'm re-releasing my dad's Ali film from the 70s, and I'm really, oh, I'm really excited oh, about nice. it. I'm really that is thrilled. so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really thrilled. Well, you know, to, to, to I get can't it out wait. There, you know, that's yeah, that's it's, it's cool. That's really, yeah. that's really amazing that you were able to do mm-hmm. that and that you were able to know how to, with technology, bring it up. You know, I have right. a friend who did a book on Ali, um, and and uh, you may know him because I was going to say to you if, if I didn't know where you were at on this film yet, but his name is Al Satterwhite. Do you know Al Satterwhite? No, I do not. He did a book on Ellie, and um, he has some pretty um, amazing images. It might be something that you might want to um, – I could hook you up with him if you'd like to talk to him because well, he's got this amazing book. I yeah. appreciate it. At this, at this point, the film is done, and it's a done deal. It's, it's getting wrapped yeah. up, and um, I'm looking to do – a release thing on on his on Ali's birthday, but wow. um, so, oh so, wow, so that would be that, so that, great. That's in, that's yeah, that's great. in January. So I'm sort of sniffing around New York, like what would be a cool venue to to do this in? Mm-hmm. You know, I'd love to do it at the uh, Museum of Moving Image in Astoria, or maybe at like the JCC or something up in our na- up in our neighborhood, Spencer, like the JCC. Yeah, That'd yeah, cool. very cool. Yeah. You, you know, so, something, what something about like that. You know, you know, it would be cool. What, MoMA, what MoMA about film, maybe. Ring? What about you MoMA know, funny, film? Well, well, no, funny you should mention a boxing. The original idea was to do it at like a gym at a boxing ring. But what kind of comes That's into play is that if you do it in a boxing ring, then sort of like the film suffers because how do you project it? You know, what's the sound system? It's really not the not a great place to see a film. You know. Um, in, inevitably, in the end, the best place to do it would be the Museum of Moving Images or JCC or some or some kind of place where we could do an event and maybe it would be free or invite only, and yeah, you know right, people could right, you know people right. could really get into yeah. and then and then launch it on on iTunes and 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 um, Amazon soon after. And then other than that, you know, I'm I'm working towards you know I got a few a few. Um, irons in the fire, you know, I, I'm not one to kind of talk about what I'm going to do. I like to talk about what I'm, so there's a few, 
there's a few other things that are kind of percolating. Somebody's, someone's asking me to do the history of electronic music, which sounds interesting. Um, I've always wanted oh, to that do might be a cool. documentary. Yeah, yeah. I've always, I've yeah. always, um, listen, I've always wanted to do a, a, a Misfits documentary. I've always been a big fan of the Misfits. You know, I would love to do a Misfits documentary. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe we can maybe we can chase that down. You know, with, with that, with, you know, Let's get in touch with them. Yeah, we had. Oh I brought. God. I brought on. Hey, Drew. Love I brought him. on uh, the guy behind the Misfits Record Company we came on our had show. Him on, yeah. Was it? We had him Who's on. That, the, is that John? Yeah. Is that John Kiafa? Yes. 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 John's great. I yep. get calls from John once in a while, Spencer. I didn't know if you knew that, but he's like always telling me, updating me. And what they're doing, so let's do it. Definitely, yeah, do that. Wow. I mean, the Misfits just had a big thing at the. Also, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame did a thing with them. You know, mm-hmm. the Misfits. Yeah. Well, they're so, well, they're 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 having a moment now because they're ba- they're back yeah. together with Glenn Danzig and yeah. they're doing big. You know, they're doing big shows and and you know the connection here is that Michael Alago signed them to Geffen in 1997. So wow. yeah. you know, that's right. Actually, I remember that. Yeah. So Alago is actually in San Francisco right now, and he's going to see Glenn Danzig play tonight. Wow! And uh, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully, wow. you know That's we're gonna, awesome. you know, we're gonna open a dialogue, you know, um, open a dialogue, uh, you know, for this stuff. So you know, yeah, we'll, I heard, we'll, I heard we'll they see. were playing in town. I heard they were playing yeah, in yeah. town tonight. I yeah, wanted to so, say real I mean, quick. Uh, I want to say I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry about that. No, I no, just want to say ahead. real quick. I just heard from the studio that they're having um, a uh, experiencing troubles with a server. So if you're trying to get into the chat room and you're not able to get in there, um, what I would say is listen to this show um, live, or if you'd like to call in, you have questions for myself, Drew, or Spencer. It's 347-677-1036. And the show will be available on iTunes afterwards on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio. So, um, I'm sorry about the chat room, guys, but today we have Drew Stone, and we're talking about all of Drew's info here and uh, all this really great stuff. So if you tuned in late, you can listen to it again. So uh, go carry on, Drew. I'm sorry about that. I wanted to I wanted, know, well, know about I wanted that. to say, Holly, I wanted to bring in something. Drew, we're having um, the publisher of Electronic Sound on magazine from the U.K. who does a whole thing with electronic music. So maybe you mm-hmm. want to connect with them, you know, at some point. Into that. Yeah, I mean that's a possibility. I think. Yeah, I mean if we get this thing's in the very embryonic stages. You know what I mean? And also another thing that I have kind of, um, kind of in the hopper that I'm doing research mm-hmm. on is is a project called the Jews and the Blues, which which oh, deals me. with basically the connection between you know what made these you know, uh, young Jewish kids like mm. um, David Bromberg and Steady Roland, Barb Margolin. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and you know, what made these guys yeah. gravitate to this early American music? And it deals with sort of like the, 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 the crossover between, you know, early African-American, you know, blues stuff and then wow. the Jewish stuff and, you know, um, the civil rights, civil rights stuff, Holocaust stuff. And, you know, why, why did these, you know, Jewish cats, you know, embrace that sort of music and where did it go from there? And, you know, we're talking about guys like, um, you know, Jay Giles, the Jay Giles, 
the Jay Giles band originally was called the Jay Giles Blues Band, and Peter Wolf was a you know they're all blue you know blues yeah. guy. Everybody, yeah. everyone in the Jay Giles band is Jewish, you know, <laughs> to this day. To this, no, to this day, all five all five guys. That's great. And um, mm-hmm. you know, so you got a lot of the a lot of the usual suspects, but um, you know that, that's something that is sort of in the hopper as well. But that's you know, great. for me, yeah, for me, for me, it's it's. You know, I'm 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 an independent filmmaker. I'm I'm kind of a one man show here, and I've just been so um, caught up in you know these other two films, and you know doing screenings and traveling and, and dealing with all the press. It's yeah. it's hard to, as I'm doing that, try to launch another film. You know. Right. Sure. Oh yeah. Sure. But so, what a great tribute once, to your father to do that film that you're going to do in January. That's so beautiful. Yeah. That's. I mean, yeah. your father must be like ecstatic about that. That's yeah, he's, something he's, that he's 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 pretty happy. But so as we're mm-hmm. as we're talking about, you know, my father, and you mentioned it before, is that my dad yeah. won an my dad won an Oscar in 1963 for great, the best Spencer, best short best short <laughs> film uh, called The Critic, which uh, you know Mel Mel I um, that one. Brooks yeah Mel Brooks did the it's an animated film. Mel Brooks did the voice, and uh, in 1960, my dad produced it. Ernie Pintoff directed it, and it won an Oscar. Like, it, you know, that's, a, that's what, hey, true. There's a know? funny story about that, right? About your father. Listen, Mel Brooks was in the audience or something, and how the, how that whole thing connected. Isn't there a story behind that? Um, no, I'm not sure. I mean, other, other than I don't know about that. I mean, Mel, Mel, Mel I mean, I. I used to. Mel, the story was Mel Brooks was watching this movie, uh, and some movie or something, and he really got. I, he wasn't into it, and he wanted to do something of a. Oh creative. right, I know what you. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And I thought so that, that was really cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that inspired it, and then and then you know, as a kid growing up, right, I'd be out in the city with my dad or whatever, and I, I remember, I remember, I, I I think I was, I was young. I was a young teenager. And I was with my dad at the Friars Club in, in Manhattan. And um, we were there, and all of a sudden my dad goes, oh, Christ, there's Mel Brooks. And <laughs> Mel, Mel Brooks comes over, and just in, in, in the dining room at the Friars Club, puts on this, just basically does a comedy routine on my dad. Like, hey, Arnie Stone, you know, you schmuck. You know, you're still doing, the, you're still doing those, those lousy commercials. You know, wait, you know, and and I remember just sitting there and and, and just being just it was unbelievable. I, I I didn't I was too young I was too young to understand who Mel Brooks was. Right. I was this wisest man, you know, making fun of my dad in front of all these people. And uh, you know, later, you know, I think Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein are, are you know, two of the funniest films ever made. They are you know? amazing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's you know that's you know that that's that bit. What a great story! What a great yeah. story! Real quick, we have chat now. We have the chat room is open, guys. Um, <clears throat> the studio just contacted me, and the chat room is open, so you can go in there. All right. So if you have any questions, if you're listening. Yeah, if you're listening, you know, try to come up with something uh, interesting and uh, <laughs> something uh, to you know, ask as, you or call in three four seven 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 one zero three six. Yeah. Um. Also, what I wanted to say to you was, um, 
I wanted to uh, get your website so everybody could go to oh, that yeah, because sure. you've got yeah. a fantastic website. Right. Yeah, um, if anybody's out there, anybody out there is interested, it's www.stonefilmsnyc.com. That's www.stonefilmsnyc.com. Also, if you're on Facebook, uh, look for me, Drew Stone. But, of course, the New York Hardcore Chronicles page on Facebook. It's got almost 100,000 people people on it. It's the real community Mm -hmm. that drives, you know, that's where the New York Hardcore Chronicles film came from. It was derived from um, the page on Facebook. So that's uh, the New York Hardcore Chronicles page on Facebook. Lots of cool stuff on there. Old New York, you know, graffiti stuff. You know, a lot of the, a lot of, you know, the bands, the, the personalities, and and uh, and that kind of stuff. But check me out at uh, uh, www.stonefilmsnyc.com. I want to ask, hey Drew, I want to ask you about your Boston film, the Boston Hardcore film. What was that about? Um, well, you know, like I said, I went up to Boston uh, in the summer of '81, and I fell in with, you know, the early Boston hardcore scene. And I was just there at that moment where, where things were taking off and it was an exciting, vibrant time. Uh, look, looking back on it now, like, you know, I, I feel like when people say, you know, um, you know, the summer of love or I feel like I understand what it was like to have been in San Francisco in 1966 or to have been, you know, a part of, you know, these sort of like vibrant social music scenes because, being in Boston in 1981 and being a part of the hardcore scene was a really, really um, exciting time, you know, culturally uh, being a part of it. So basically, you know, I did a, a, I did uh, a documentary film about the Boston hardcore scene from 19, it, 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 that, it's that early 1981 to 84 when, when things were innocent and vibrant. And, uh, you know, in a way uh, that, that film I did a couple years ago, I sort of feel like that was the um, that was the uh, the warm up, you know. Mm-hmm. I was sort of getting sort of getting my my legs underneath me as yeah. far as my what my style is and, and 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 what I do and what I would like to do. Um, I mean, you know, I, I think it, I think it's it, you know people love that film. You know, for me, you know, it's it's a little. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? You know, it's a little. I don't want to say minor league, but but you know, it's 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 one step. It's one step in the journey. You know what I mean? It's a step. Right, sure. it was, oh yeah, it was absolutely. Step, yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it was like mm-hmm. here. Let me let me put it to you like in this vernacular. It was like the record we did for the independent record label. You know? <laughs> and then you know, oh no and no, then, no get and, that yeah totally yeah right yeah. and then and then yeah. and then we got and then I got the producer to produce the record, and then we did the Alago film, you know, yeah. which was really sort of like the Alago film. I had the resources behind it. I had, I had, you know, conceptually. I mean, it's all, it, it's all, it's, it's all a process as long as it's moving ahead in, in, in a forward, in a forward direction. I mean, that's why, you know, people are asking me, you know, hey, why don't you do another hardcore film? And, and, you know, not right now. I, I want to do something a little bit different as an artist. I want to, right, right. I, you know, I want to do something a little, a little bit different. You know. Well, that that mm-hmm. makes sense because the creative mind of I think of a filmmaker or anybody, including myself or Holly or anybody, is that you want to do diverse things. Not to show that right. you're in one pocket 
and you're a creative person. And listen, you're making statements. You're making very important statements. That's the most important thing. Whatever you're doing are very important statements, mm-hmm. right? You well, know, thank, well, thank that you. is I appreciate so it. true. Yeah. So yeah. true. It's so important, I think, um, as as creative people, that we step out of our comfort zone once in a while because it's when you step out of that and you do something, you take a chance on something and you find out that that really does something for you. It really helps you grow in a different direction, Um, Mm -hmm. which is a question I had for you, Drew. I wanted to ask you, um, I know that you grew up around your father and um, with him being in film. How did you know that this is something that you wanted to do? How did you get into film in the first place besides just your father, I'm sure, being such a great mentor to you? Yeah, well, for me, for me, it came. It happened in a roundabout way. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, growing up, you know, kind of in New York, um, I always was interested in kind of acting. Um, I, I, acting was sort of like my my early passion. And um, mm-hmm. as a teenager, I kind of did a little bit of acting stuff, but I I didn't really have a grasp on. You know, I didn't want to be a director. I mean, I saw what my dad did, um, but so I went to, like I said, I went to I went to Emerson to study acting. And while I was at Emerson to study acting, I um, I fell in with the hardcore scene. So then, mm-hmm. once I was involved in that really exciting, vibrant scene, it was very hard for me to pay attention in school. So so really, you know, my grades were never very good. I was wasting my father's money. Eventually, I, I pulled out of college, spent a little more time up in Boston, you know, playing in a band and, and um, hanging out in the scene. And then, you know, when that sort of ran its course, I came back to New York. Um, basically, for me, when I came back to New York in, the, in, in 1983, job always meant something in the film business, you know. So mm-hmm. whether it was you know, working in a movie equipment rental house, fixing equipment or driving a truck or doing deliveries or, you know, you know, for me, a job always meant something, you know, in, in the film business. So I came back in 83 and, you know, I had a job, I think, in, in a movie equipment rental house. And at the same time, I started another band, The High and the Mighty, and we started playing shows in, in New York City. And, you know, being a part of that scene in the Lower East Side and playing all these shows, I met lots of people and lots of other bands. And keep in mind, at this time, this was basically the golden, the golden age of music videos. This was when mm-hmm. anything went, remember, you know, the early 80s, people were doing all kinds of kooky music videos. Everybody needed one. Everyone was doing one. And at the same time as I was meeting a lot of different musicians and, and, and playing music, I was the stage manager on a stage here in Manhattan on the Upper West Side. And my boss said to me, if you, rent, if, if, you, if you can rent any of the equipment, the lighting equipment, you know, all the equipment, if you can rent any of the equipment outside the, outside the building, then I'll split it with you. So I started doing these little jobs. My brother would come to town. I had a van. I would do these little jobs and split, you know, split the rental fee with my boss. And, and I gathered up, I had enough money, and I, I incorporated myself, Stone Films NYC. I started my little film company. And then around that same time, just, you know, as that, as that, as that kept happening, I was approached by somebody 
uh, Paris Mayhew, who played in a, who played in a band called the Chromat, which was a mm-hmm. uh, like a, a New York hardcore band, and you know people were con- you know and basically the gist of it was you know hey you know you you know about this kind of, you know know about this kind of stuff. Um, this band is asking me to do a video for them. Do you want to produce it? So right at that same time, to get enough money to 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 take to to make the first payment on an insurance policy, which you need to have in New York City in order to you know rent cameras and in order to get a permit. So it all sort of the timing was right. I, I made the you know the, the payment. You know I got the insurance policy for Stonefields NYC. He came to me with his with his job with 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 his band that wanted to do a video. He was going to direct it. I was going to produce it. The band uh, was called Biohazard from Brooklyn, and mm-hmm. we, we did the bio, we did the Biohazard video, and it was really a cool video. It was really, I mean, looking back, it's an iconic video, and it played on MTV on Headbangers Ball for mm. um, for 14 weeks in a row. Wow! And then, oh wow! And here com- and mm. here comes the big here comes the here comes the next domino. Biohazard was managed by Rush Management, which was Russell Simmons, right? Right. And uh-huh. Rush Management, they had a group called Onyx, a rap group. And Onyx had a song called Slam, which was sort of like, you know, a rap song about kind of like slam dancing, right? So yeah. some, somebody over there had the insight to say, let's get the rock and roll white boys to do our video. So me and Paris, <laughs> me and Paris did the Onyx Slam video. And wouldn't you know, it went to number one on MTV. Oh my God! And, oh, wow, that's great. And then, great. and then it just it just set everything into motion. You know, boom. You know, next one typo. Next one typo negative. Next one Run DMC. Boom, another Onyx video. Another yeah. Biohazard video. Um, you know, King's X, Insane Clown Posse, Sepultura. You know, on and on, on and on. And we just went on this incredible run of of doing these music video videos. And like I said. It was the golden age of music videos where right. anything, anything, I mean, you remember this stuff, Spencer, like sure. this is what people were doing, really exciting, fun stuff. You know, it's, it, there was, it was, it was no, it was no regulate. It was, everything was deregulated. You know, it was like, you know, you, you could, you know, you could, uh, you know, once you had a permit, you could go right out in the street and people were, you know, doing kind of, you know, really neat, different stuff. And, so I just went on this incredible um, run of uh, of doing music videos, yeah. and uh, then me and Paris split, and I ended up continuing uh, directing, and I directed, you know, Agnostic Front, Gotta Go, and the two Madball videos, and Vanilla Ice, and blah, 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 and all that stuff, and, you know, I forged ahead, you know, directing, you know, after that. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and, and that's that's sort of how... How it came, you know, and, and kind of all the while, like, you know, still singing for Antidote. But, you know, I must admit, I had the fantasy, you know, of making it in a rock band. And I spent right. many years. Really? I spent many, yeah, I spent many years, you know, trying wow. to do that. And, and I must say, you know, so somewhat, somewhat, I look back with a little bit of regret because I just wish oh. I would have focused up. I would have wished I would have focused up a little a little, you know, sooner and, um, you know, not, not, not spent, not spent so much time, you know, trying to make it a rock band and, and just, you know, running around getting high, to be honest with you. 
You know, well, you mm-hmm. know, you, you brought out a you brought out a really good thing, Drew, because you know what you're doing now is like you're running around with these different movies. You don't have time to do a film. It's like relative to that, but you will do that. I mean, you will do that because you can control that. But I think at a time in your life, you don't really know where you're going. I mean, I had that with my life. I I started. Yeah. I fell into music literally uh, with John Lennon and uh, uh, right. other. It doesn't matter. I, I fell into it. But I, I don't know if I appreciate it, but now I really, I mean, it, it really means a lot to me. But it, it's like you don't know where you're going, right? And you think you're, you're going to some direction. I mean, your direction was good. You did really great things. There's no doubt about it. But it's your total creative energy. Uh, you know, you were doing different things. So it's logical where you went. You know what I'm saying? It's nothing bad. <laughs> I wouldn't think bad about it, but I know what you feel because as a musician, you want to uh, attain a certain height that maybe you couldn't do then. I totally relate to that, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and like, you know what? I have a lot of regrets, and I enjoy oh. my regrets. I, oh, I enjoy okay. my regrets. I, I, I think I feel... Like for me, regrets are healthy. And, and, and like, yeah, I, don't, I don't listen. I, I don't. I don't pine away over this stuff. Don't get me wrong. And I'm very, very happy with where my life is right now. I'm really blessed and really That's grateful to great. have what I have. Yeah, but I you think that be. I think that um, sort of uh, you know having these regrets are, are what shape mm-hmm. me what I am now. Right. You know. And, and, mm-hmm. then, and then it always goes back. It always goes back to that Star Trek episode, which is well. If I was if if, it, if if I wasn't there, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be here now, right? You know, so we can't go back into the no, uh, we can't funny. go back into the past. Oh, you can't do that. It. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't. So it has to stay exactly the way it is, and <laughs> and you know, so in that regard, you know, it's it, it it's all good. I just wish, you know, like I wish I would have focused up a little bit sooner. I, you know, and, and he, like like for instance, you know, while I was out dicking around trying to make it you know, in a rock band and playing the Low East Side and, and, and kind of grinding away, you know, in the, in, in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, you know, my brother, you know, kind of saw all that and, you know, went and learned how to light, you know, he, he learned how to be a cinematographer and light. And yeah. you know, he learned some real, you know, some real skills that, that really, um, you know, benefited him in later life. And, so, in a, you know what I'm saying? In a certain regard, I wish I would have focused up, and I wish, God, I wish I would have, you know, uh, you know, learned how to, you know, and I had to learn this stuff later. And I yeah, had to learn yeah, this literally, right. I had to learn it the hard way, you right. know? Right, So, you know. But, yeah, but, but look at is, the great work you've done now. I mean, yeah, yeah, really, exactly. you have to praise really yourself right. that way. Right. And, you right. know, I have to yep. tell you something about you talking about regrets. There's a saying mm-hmm. that somebody had told me that regrets remind us that we're alive. Um, yeah, it's very you know, true. It's like very, they really like do. Said, yeah, I enjoy. Like I said, I I I sort of enjoy my regrets. I mean, I I, uh-huh. I they were they were less they were they were lessons and they shaped who I am. So I I think they would be much harder to 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 come to grips with if if you know I wasn't where I'm at right now. And and it's interesting oh, yeah. because I think I think for me and and this is sort of this has come up a bunch of times and I've said this to a lot of people. After I did the music video thing, when, when, when sort of like, you know, music, you know, eventually the music video thing sort of waned, right? I mean, you know, the, the whole MTV, the yeah. music video thing waned. Mm-hmm. And there was, there was a little downtime. And then I got involved in doing extreme sports films. And I, um, I had a great run doing these um, motorcycle 
uh, Urban Street Bike Warrior. Yeah, you know, I was going to ask you about your ur- film. Urban, yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. urban, uh, I did nine films in seven years and had some really, really great success doing those. Wow. I mean, because this, this was, yeah, right. This was before, you know, YouTube and all that. So I would go out and make the film. I'd edit the film. You know, I'd, I'd pay someone to design the box cover. Mm-hmm. I would, I'd spend the money to duplicate it. And then they would go to the distributor and the distributor would put them in a motorcycle shop. And I did very well with this for a few years. You know, it's one thing to have one film or two, but at one point I had, you know, five, six films out. They were selling. I was doing very well. Um, it, it, it was a great, it was a great ride. So, but inevitably that market crashed too. the DVD market, you know, crashed when, when YouTube came in and, you know, kids were shooting, you know, videos of themselves riding and putting it up on YouTube that, that day. So I had some success. I had, I went around the merry-go-round with the music video thing and had some success and then went around the merry-go-round again with the street bike thing and had some success. And now I'm going around the merry-go-round a third time, you know, with these documentary films. So believe me, I understand what it is, you know, going, you know, all this stuff is fleeting, you know, it's it's the third time around, but, but I'm much more um, coherent and, and appreciating it for the third time around. That's the most important thing. Oh yeah, no, that's amazing. You know, I wanted to ask you besides just the motorcycle stuff and the, um, the filming, the MTV stuff, uh, you worked in some uh, film, like TV shows, uh, Sci-Fi's Destination Truth, I think, and CBS, yeah, The Amazing Race, and stuff like that. Yeah, that's all. That's all my brother. That's my brother Evan. Um, uh huh. He's a director. He's a director cameraman. Uh, right now, he's he's on um, um, what do you call it? Um, ex- um exhibition. Uh, unknown and um, oh wow he yeah, was, yeah yeah he was shooting he was shooting naked and afraid and um, uh, sci-fi uh, uh, what's it a um, what do you call it uh, dangerous race I think and mm-hmm, so my brother's mm-hmm. a, my brother's a working um, cameraman director he lives in Venice California it's amazing what he's you out, both are doing out. yeah yeah, he, yeah I mean great. we used to work together we used to direct together as the Stone Brothers um, mm-hmm. but he's Look, my brother's like a real worker bee. You know, he, he, he goes out on these shows, you know, and travels the world for months at a time and, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of gr- grinds it out. Um, like, you know, uh, uh, California, L.A. sort of works in the film business. You know, I'm, I kind of took a different path. I'm an independent filmmaker, and I really kind of do mm-hmm. my own thing with what I do, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. If, if yeah, you know, <laughs> No, totally makes sense. I think that that's like really cool that you, you know, that you both are in the same business, but you're both on different paths, and but it's yeah. very similar, you know. And yeah. uh, you know, in the For movie sure. industry and in the film industry, we all know how how time consuming and how the hours are so damn long. I know that. Um, so yeah, that's that's very cool. Yeah. But in the end, you see your end result, and it's really Amazing. Um, Thank you. Now, I wanted to talk about the, your choice in music that you decided to open up and close with today. Um, let's talk about your Neon Leons that we opened up with. <laughs> well, um, listen, you know, um, Neon Leon's an artist that was around in the, in, mm-hmm. the, in the late 70s. He was sort of like mm-hmm. a real 
um, uh, Lower East Side personality. You know, he was a part of mm-hmm. the sort of the Johnny Thunders, Dead Boys, real kind of punk uh, click. I, o- I always loved that song. Um, I think I think Mick Jagger um, does a little background vocals on that. He was like one of these sort of mm-hmm. like, you know, he was a drug dealer. He was a, you know, he was a hanger, hanger, He was outer. a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, and, and people say he was. Yeah. He, people say he was involved. He was around that night that Nancy, that, you know, the whole Nancy Spungen, the night she died. Mm-hmm. He was. He was you know, uh, around, and that's always um, as a young teenager that you know that that was a song that always really got me going and got me and got me excited. Um, you know, rock and roll is alive in New York City, and and and, and I, I was listening to it before, and just the production of it just. Brings me back to CBGBs and Max's Kansas City and yeah. and and all that and all that kind of stuff. And as far as the other track goes, the one that we're we're, we're leading out with, that's Ace yeah. really back in the, back in the New York groove. And look, I'm not I'm not the biggest Kiss fan. I didn't grow up, you know, really um, uh, really into Kiss and, and the whole thing. Although in later years, I could certainly appreciate how you know they kind of came in were very influenced by the New York Dolls and Blue Oyster Cult and kind of like carved yeah. their, their own that carved their own path. But to me that song back in the New York movie is really bigger, you know, bigger than any of that. It's the Ace Freely solo song and, and it's sort of like an anthem. You know, it it's is. sort of an oh, anthem. Yeah, it's a great it really, song. yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, back in the New York groove. And and for me, it really speaks to me. Um, I'm a real New York guy. I'm a real New Yorker. Uh, my films deal with New York. My, my production company is called Stone Films NYC. I live on the Upper West Side. I take the subway. You know, I, I really love New York City. You oh, sound like me, Drew. Drew, you sound yeah, like and, me. <laughs> and one other thing. And one other thing. One other thing. And and I, I am a licensed New York City tour guide. <laughs> really? Yay! Wow. Yep. All right. Yeah, yeah I, I am. I am a licensed. Yeah, a that is really cool. Tour of New York. Yeah. Not that I'm doing anything. Not that I'm doing Yeah, not that I'm doing anything with it. That's great. Um, but uh yeah, there is some there's some I talk think you about should do a film and do a tour of New York, a film on New York. That'd be cool. Well Well, actually the idea was to do the Drew Stone cinematic walking tour of New York City. Oh wow. Um, That's it. Right. I think it should well, happen. Well, it could. I mean, uh, it, it could. It got caught up in. Uh, it just got caught up in the glory ride of these of, of this su- this whole summer of these two films. So, you know, it's kind of hard. It's either are you a filmmaker or do you want to be a tour guide? But you know what? The more, and more the more and more I think about it, I think I'd rather be a tour guide. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, you get to see That's everything cool. from the outside. Cool. I totally get that. Well, that is you, so you know what cool. I really, you know what I really enjoy about it, because I have a friend that has a has a company, and I sort of like went out with 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 them many times to sort of learn the uh-huh. ropes. What I really, what I really like about it is, that people come into New York for the first time, and yeah. people are just excited, yeah. excited to be in the city, and they're excited, you know, to to be in contact with a real New Yorker and kind of hear some right. real New York stories. And right. I just really, I just really enjoy it, you know. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I so just we'll had see. a friend in in New York um, recently. This pa- just the last couple of days, and they were 
telling me there's one area where there's animated, there, there's cartoon characters dressed up um, on the streets. And I was yeah, like, yeah, wow, yeah. Times, that's times, interesting. Times Square. Times Square. Yeah. And, yeah, that's uh, it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And um, <laughs> yeah, so Marshall, Marshall was just there. Spencer, just so you know, Marshall Terrell, and Barbara yeah, yeah. McQueen, who's Steve McQueen's wife. And uh, right, right, right. Uh, you know, it was great. They were telling me they that's were there cool. to promote their their uh, book that they have coming out, and the movie that they're doing on the twenty eighth. And uh, it was so interesting because they said they went to went <laughs> to Times Square. <laughs> And there are all these characters, and there's, I guess, one, he resonated with the baby. There's a baby, a big, giant baby in square. Right. <laughs> Telling me about all the different things that they got to do there, and it was just interesting, you know. Um, I know that you guys are all pulling together, and it's such a great, it's such a great city to be in, because Everybody just kind of really works together on a lot of different things. So, and the energy, who knows this? The energy in New York, right, Drew, is just networking and seeing people uh-huh. and the the, the whole well, environment. It is. It's so, up energy, you know, right? For I sure, mean, it, for you know. sure. I I think though, I think we need know, that. Now. I mean, New, yeah. Well, New York is look things things change, and it's like my dad says: the only thing about New York that stays the same is that it's always changing. And, yeah. you know, this week, this week was a very, it was a landmark uh, kind of event. It was the last ever Village Voice print copy that they, That's you know, right. they put out That's the Village Voice, right. you know? Yeah, And, right. I mean, it's sort of, it's sort of a sad moment. Um, you know, a lot of things have sort of, you know, kind of moved on, um, passed by the wayside, whether they're closing at CBGB's or this restaurant or that. But, you know, it's just part of the ebb and flow of, of, of a big, you know, metropolis, you know. Um, and then I, I was actually thinking about this. I was thinking about this this morning, actually, that, you know, this is what happens in the course of, of 50 years, you know. Things change. Mm-hmm. You know, not, nothing's going to stay. You know, there's, there's an ebb and a flow. And, you know, I've lived in New York my whole adult life. And, you know, people have a tendency – I think to glamorize the past and, you know, uh, there's a lot of heavy nostalgia about New York and especially about the seventies and look, the seventies, you know, as much as a kind of like creative cauldron as it was here in New York, it was also a dangerous, dirty time. And, you know, I grew up here in that time and it was dangerous and scary to ride the subway. And there was a lot of bad shit going on also, but, you know, in retrospect, it seems like there's a lot of pining away on Facebook and all that kind of stuff about, you know, the, you know, the old days and who's old school and who's not. And, and, but, Drew, uh, I, I, Drew, I got I to gotta tell you about something. The thing that I always say, and I'm a New Yorker like you and into music, mm-hmm. you know, uh, is that the Bowery Electric, uh, people c- uh, cry about CBGBs. Screw that. Yeah. Bowery Electric has yeah. come back. Brought in these really heavy groups, you know that. So things yeah. evolve, and they fall into flow into other clubs. Avenue Way, you know about these sections, Avenue Way, and you've got. Yeah, yeah, of course. You yeah. know, um, which is good, which is all good. But you, you, you know, I, people... I wanted to. Bri- Go ahead. Go ahead. I wanted to mention. I was going to actually mention that Spencer, uh, because I saw that there's a show coming up. It's like a, a Johnny Thunder's show, yeah. and Big and. Time. Uh, 
Yep. Yeah, and Clem Burke is playing drums. Oh, my God, and, everybody's uh, there. Steve Conte yeah, Glenn, and, you know, yeah, Glenn, the whole crew. Glenn Matlock from the Sex yep. Pistols yep. and uh, Walter Lurie. And, I mean, wow, what a great show. And, and that's, that's, at the, that's at the Bowery Electric. So, you know, there's an, there's an ebb and a flow. But I try not to be too – and this might sound strange coming from a documentary filmmaker, right? But I yeah. try not to be too too invested in the past. I, I, like to, I like to really be in the present and look towards the right. future. Right. I agree. Yeah, I man. totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, all I would say is that event sounds really cool, and whoever was going to be on our show originally blew it because we could have covered it and talked about it, but <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> but that's hmm. all good because we've had Steve Conti on here quite a few times and a lot of other people and yourself. Yep. So, you know, um, hmm. all I can say is they could have talked about it, and we'll share – I'm sure we'll be able to share some of the things that happened from that night on our show. Oh, I don't yeah, want to piss anyone go. off, so whatever. Hey, what, 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 I don't know, if, I don't know if anybody... It's all good. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's watching the uh, the Ken Burns Vietnam documentary this week. It's in like eight parts, but damn, Oh, yeah, really, that's incredible. That is incredible. I've been watching it every yep. night. It's really good. It's really good. I agree. Amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, good stuff. I mean, you really feel it. I mean, you feel the whole era. I mean, he makes you feel, right, the whole – it's like a passionate film. That's another thing. Your film's very passionate. I mean, films like that are like like the the credential uh, cream of the creme for film to me. And and I want to tell you as a filmmaker, I really really revere you. There's several filmmakers that we've had on. We had – you know, like Scott Crawford, who did Salad Days about yep, the heart. Yep, yep, I know Scott. Mm-hmm. And I know. Uh, he's doing a Korean movie, which I'm getting interviewed yep. with my partner Judith on Sunday. I'm very honored about that. But there's other filmmakers cool. and, uh, and people like you are, are keeping the ball rolling and the mindset and making things really good. Uh, we have to deal with other things in the world we don't want to deal with, but you are making the things very good and important. I think that's really important, Scott, uh, Drew. Thank you. Thank I you. think it's important to fill in the blanks, yeah, so people really know the real truth and really what was behind yeah. behind the scenes. It's like you had to be their moment. Um and and yep. really that, that film that the one film that's available on Netflix right now, that one there mm-hmm. you just you wanna watch it, it really draws you in because you really yeah. get into yeah. his whole life and of course obviously there's a real compassionate side to that because you see where he wanted to be everything and then his struggle, his claim to fame, and then the struggle he went through. But, you know, all the great work that he did, and, and they right. didn't skip over that. And the people that you interviewed along the way that really knew him were – it was just how you brought the whole thing together. And then well, your other film, it's a same well, thing. It's a well-balanced film. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, the thing about the mm-hmm. Alago film is it has it, – it, 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 it's almost like a play. It's staged in four parts. You know, it, it, you know mm-hmm. there's, there's the – there's the there's the backstory and then there's the rise to crash and then there's the redemption. It actually plays mm-hmm. itself out like a like a cra- like a classic Greek tragedy. It, it it's really the 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 elements I, the elements are really there the, the, of the story. It doesn't you know it, it, yeah. it doesn't it, yeah. none of that is missing. You know it's like you know it, it, it's all four of the key elements of a success story are, are kind of you know are there. You know. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yep. I think yep. it's amazing. Yep. And I'm yep. really looking forward to seeing your film in January. You're saying that you're going to try to do it in January. I can't wait to see that. Yep. That's I can see that. Like, Thank you. 
Drew, I really got to go yeah. there. Amazing. And what a great the tribute Alago to your film. dad. Yep, yeah, yeah the Ali, just, excuse me, the Ali film is called Me We, so keep an eye out for it. I will. will. Me We. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you well, so much that? for having me. And we love you, oh, man. Drew, yeah. keep doing it. Keep we'll have you on again, man, in your next film, okay? Yeah, I will. Hey, I'll, like see, I'll see definitely. I'll see you in the post office. <laughs> All right, you definitely, man. Oh, I was going to say that. That's really great. <laughs> Steve says hello, by the way. <laughs> yeah, 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 by, by the way, to, to the listeners out there, um, I, I met Spencer in the, in the post office here in our neighborhood, and we, st- we started talking, and uh, eventually that led to that. So That's it's what one I of those, heard. It's one of those organic <laughs> kind of things that, that like le- the, the road has led us here. It's fantastic. It's a hot hangout, right, Drew? It's a hot <laughs> hangout up our website, <laughs> right? Like, all right. <laughs> Thank you awesome. both. Thank you both so very, very much. Okay, we love you, you, man. This Take is care. Like so important. So we're going to end our show with a song that um, Drew wanted us to play. Very, very cool New York groove. And I mm-hmm. wanted to say it's Friday. Please don't drink and drive, guys. It's Friday. Yeah. It's the weekend. Don't Please. drink and drive. And uh, nope. and happy first day of fall. And with that. Spencer, I'm going to end the show. Um, we're going to go okay. right into this song real quick. Okay, Drew, Thanks have for a the good support, one. everyone. Spencer, hey, we love you. Talk to you guys Thanks, Holly. Right. See you again love next you Friday. Welcome. Have a good Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. If you missed it, it's on iTunes afterwards. Tune in. <laughs> I know. Thank you.